and welcome to the Hack Your Mindset podcast with me, Jenny Winterleach, the Mindset Hacker. So wherever you are today and whatever it is you're doing while you're listening to this, settle in and enjoy the ride. Hey everyone, and welcome. Um, I am thrilled this morning to have the lovely Tina Canton of Tinderbox Sports Horses. That's quite a tongue twister when you actually it try is, and say it. It is, I know. It? And it, when my married name was Tina Trundle, so that was even worse. <laughs> fantastic well I'm glad it's not that now because I wouldn't have no. been able to say that um, anyway thank you so much Tina for joining us this morning if anyone wants to ask any questions please do put them in the the comments and we can ask them to Tina um, but welcome tell us a little bit about your yourself Tina and what it is that you do and what tinderbox is um, okay tinderbox sort of grew a bit organically really I've been doing it for 30 years now didn't fully intend for it to be a business um sort of mum and dad bless them moved to a bigger property with stables um i had two horses that i was chasing around the countryside to do on livery in two different yards um and basically mum wanted a bigger garden and dad wanted you know somewhere to squirrel all the tap that he seems to collect um so they bought the tinderbox and then i had friends sort of asking me i was going through college and university at the time could they keep their horse with me so it sort of organically grew and we did start as a diy yard I trained very young to be a coach um, I was a AI by the time I was 18 and I was an II by the time I was 19. So I was always going to go down that line. Um, and then we sort of grew. I got my first owners by the time I was 18 and uh, then it sort of grew and we sort of developed on now where we offer um, schooling livery, sales livery, uh, which is actually something that's quite tricky to do. Whether I will do that long term, I'm not sure because it's such a difficult climate. Um, and I compete for owners and I produce my own horses as well as as coaching. Cool. OK, so um, tell us then about um, your own riding and coaching journey a little bit, because I think one of the main things we'll probably talk about today is owners, because you've got so much experience of riding for owners. Yeah. Um, but before we get on to that, tell us a little bit about what it is that you do. So you're an inventor. Tell us more. Yeah, so I'm an inventor. Um, I love, love, love producing my young horses. Um, I don't do the breaking side of it. I made a decision many, many years ago that actually that wasn't my forte. And I was much better at taking them from just being sat on and, you know, walk, drop, canter to then teaching them to jump, taking them to their first shows. And I just adore that process. Um, and I probably will turn my career around to doing more of that long term. Um, I have evented up to four star level. Um, I, in my youth, I was ambitious and I wanted to go to the top. Um, but now I've had a lovely time producing quite a lot of horses um, up to advice, but I don't want to jump fairly in badminton, it's far too big. Um, so I'm happy producing up to that level. Um, I currently have my own horse, which is, um, he's advanced, but he's a really, really good three-star horse. So I probably will keep him at three-star and do some more challenging three-star courses with him because we have great fun. And I think that's something I've had to relearn how to discover to have fun, having had a lot of pressure from owners over the years to to push horses on and up when they weren't necessarily ready. Um, and I think owners forget it's your a lot of the time with eventing, it's your life at stake. Um, so sometimes their competitive spirit can overtake welfare issues and your own safety. Um, so actually, I'm really enjoying eventing at that level for myself now. Um, but I still do compete for owners, but a lot of the time we have them in to compete to get four months for them to be sold. Um, so obviously the internet puts a lot of pressure on you for that as well. Um, coaching wise, I love teaching. I have to say, I always have. 
Um, I did, and actually I met Jenny doing the Centre 10 programme, which must have been, oh, I don't know, three or four years ago. And that really reignited my love for coaching. Um, I achieved my bucket list. I got my BHSI in my 30s, which I was very excited about. But then it's very easy to tread water and to slightly lose a bit of self-motivation. So that's really, really helped me on my coaching journey, I have to say. And what would you say has changed in those last few years then to, to get that motivation to get? Because you sound now so much clearer on what it is that you want where, than you did when I first yeah, met you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think I um, I think there was as a competitive person, you do push yourself. And I think there's always a level of frustration when you don't necessarily feel you're achieving what you should be achieving. Um but you put those limits on yourself. And I very much post-injury, I had a very big injury five years ago. Um, and it was we weren't sure whether I was going to ride again. So I think everything since then has been a bonus. Um, and actually, I think I'm riding. I wish I could ride now, like uh, in my 20s, how I ride now. But that's age, isn't it? Um, so actually, I've, I've sort of learned to enjoy it again. And I've also learned that it's not the be all and end all to be push, push, push. So what is it about then? If it's not the be all and end all to be push, 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 um, what is it about? Enjoying the journey, I think is a big thing. Um, I think wanting to get up and go to work on a day-to-day -day basis, very good. I've got, the other thing that's changed, um, I've got two very good coaches now who um, mentor me, but if you like, in my riding, which is something in the past I probably haven't had the consistency of um i think i did do quite a lot of work with jenny um probably i think what was it two years ago jenny we worked together um yeah. from a business as well as my mindset point of view but a business point of view so i'm probably a little bit more i value my services now and i am willing not to do people favors because they always say well, what will you do for cash and you know oh but it's a lovely horse will you ride it for less um you know so i i won't do that anymore um, I diversified my business quite a lot. Um, I've always been a bit like that. I don't put all my eggs in one basket. Um, so I also run a lorry hire business on the side. Um, with Jenny's help, I started doing camps, um, which were very successful last year. Obviously, with COVID, we haven't been able to do them this year. But I've got lots of ideas bubbling away as to what we're going to do next year. And, and if we're still in the same boat, how I can adapt. Um, so, yeah, and I think I've also as well as juggling all of that, I'm a university lecturer. Um, and I know with the university job, sometimes I knew I couldn't do it to my best of my ability because I had so many balls in the air. But I've managed now to tweak my job, if you like, that it's very, um, very doable for me. So that's that's almost taken a lot of relief off from the point of view of prep work and marking. Um, so my university role now is what I'd almost call a little bit more reactive, looking after placement students, uh, teaching in the riding school, doing loads of practicals. So it's stuff that I can do easily. I obviously have to prep it and make sure it's to degree level. Um, but it's stuff that then doesn't take me hours to write and, and sort of have to tweak and deliver. Um, so that's that's helped me a lot, I have to say. And what do you think has been the thing that's helped you to get that clarity? Because you, you now sound really clear on what you want, how you get in there. You've got what we call a portfolio, which is a really great way of doing things. You know, lots mm -hmm. of different things, because I think COVID taught a lot of people that all your eggs in one basket isn't great. 
Oh, and I loved lockdown. I loved painting on my show jumps. It was very therapeutic. Yes. <laughs> right, isn't it? Yeah, lots of lovely pictures of very yeah. brightly painted jumps I coming know, through I during. Know. Yeah, I get yeah. Very upset if anybody hits a pole on two levels now. <laughs> <laughs> right. So is that it? So go jump with Tina, and you will you will make sure you jump Dance, without the getting the poles. Painted them. <laughs> yeah no absolutely um, um what is it though that's that's driven that change for you because you know there's something more to it than just well I've decided to do some other you know other things or concentrate I think I've, I am ambitious because I love I love doing new things um you know I love having a challenge I'm not very good at doing the same thing day in day out I I don't want to live in Groundhog Day um but I think my ambitions have probably changed a bit with age um, I think it's more about having happy horses, happy clients, feeling like everyone's moving in the same direction um, and feeling like I can grow the different elements of my businesses and, and react to the market a little bit. I get probably now more satisfaction, it sounds really bad, doesn't it? More satisfaction thinking of a new idea and seeing it through and seeing it work and it actually earning me money than probably going jumping around the big track. Um, whereas in the past, I would have absolutely killed myself and bankrupted myself to to be able to go and say I'd jump the advanced at Belton or whatever. Now, I'm much more excited about oh, I've got a new format for my camps. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a little play with that. Or I am actually in the process of uh, creating an app with another coach, um, and that's quite exciting because we we sort of are designing what we want it to do and how we want it to work. And you know, that's really quite exciting because then it's a little bit looking towards the long term because I'm heading towards 50. Um, so, you know, I've got to do more than than have a jolly time playing ponies, haven't I? Yeah, and that's so true. I think, you know, when you're young and ambitious, it's all about end goal, isn't it? It's all about mm -hmm. like, um, like you say, about maybe about the riding, about the product goal, about the have I jumped the four star, the five star track, you know, the kind of the that's big a little thing. bit status as well. That's a little bit. Yeah, you put yourself up on that pedestal. And it's a very wobbly old pedestal, um, it is, isn't it? you know, and I sort of in hindsight, I look back that I probably have sacrificed, sorry, ex-boyfriends, quite a few relationships being, and husbands, well, no, actually, we won't go there. Um, <laughs> I've probably sacrificed quite a few relationships because I've been so single minded and a complete workaholic. Um, whereas now I actually put much more fun stuff in the diary. I go and do experience days with friends and spas and, you know, just go and have a nice boozy lunch with a friend. Um, and I really look forward to those things. Whereas probably in the past, I'd have looked at them as a bit of an, oh, that's a pain that's in the diary because I could have gone and done this. So I am definitely changing life balances coming in a little bit more. Yeah, and that does happen as you as you I don't want to say get older as in you yeah, well, you know, but as in as you get older, like <laughs> you're yes. in your twenties. That does happen because um, you know, your your mindset changes to different things that are important to you. So often it does start mm. off in your in your sort of your twenties, it's about status, it's about career, it's about, mm. you know, like really driving to get to the top and success and all that kind of stuff. Into your thirties it tends to go more into family relationship type areas. In your 40s, it then tends to head a little bit more into um, security, financial security, stability, mm. that kind of stuff. And then in your 50s, it, it funnily enough, starts turning to like fun. You know, like actually, what Yay. what can I do <laughs> to enjoy the, what I've just spent all those years working for? Yes, and yeah, and actually, 
it's a it's a well-known pattern that people go through mm. but i think what's interesting is getting people to realize in their 20s that this pattern is going to occur and actually do they want yeah. the bit in the middle or yeah. sh should we just head for the end game now <laughs> yes yeah 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 and i wish i i really wish i had worked on a psychological level earlier in my career um i probably would have been a more balanced 20 and 30 year old um you know rather than sort of riding roughshod to get to an end goal and and not caring what happened in the process um, you know, probably would have been a much healthier, happier way to live. So on that note, what advice would you give to someone who's kind of in their, you know, early stage of their career, who's like driving, going for it, that single mindedness? Because actually, if you want to reach the top, you need to have the single mindedness. Yeah, you ha but absolutely have. You have to be so dedicated, but you have to have a sense of perspective. Um, I think we in our industry are very insular because of how we are. We live in our home stables, we deal with our customers and we go to a field and we deal with our, you know, peers when we're competing. So our world is very small. Um, and I think sort of associating with being friends with people who can give you an external um, perspective of the real world to a certain extent is very good, um, you know, because they can just help balance you. And I think when I have a, a very, very close female friend who is not afraid to tell me when I'm out of line um, and can give me a lot of balance and perspective, and that's actually been really useful in the last five years or so, um, because she's sort of a little bit my sounding board of, of um, right, I'm probably taking this a bit too far now. Let's just take a step back. Um, and that's really helpful, I think, because I also feel within, and I see it a lot in these sort of 20 year olds that mummy and daddy have bought them the beautiful lorry. They're riding the horses that cost 50 or 60 grand. They think they're brilliant and they think they're invincible. But tomorrow you could have a fall and never ride again. And that's what they don't get. And I think once you've had a couple of close shaves, you then start to think, oh, what what if what what is my life if this bit was taken away? Um, and that's a very healthy thing to think about. Yeah, so it's interesting, isn't it? It's getting that balance between a healthy mm. understanding that any minute you could get injured and it, it could all change. And mm. at the same time, though, if you're pushing to the top, you need to kind of put that out the back of mm. your mind because that's the last mm -hmm. thing you want as you're, yeah. you know, headed around a full pelt round across yeah. country courses. It's and always about you know, balance. Isn't it? it is. And you risk manage. You know, you need to be confident in your ability to make decisions. Um, you need to train. You need to not, you never get rid of your weaknesses, do you? But you learn how to manage them and you learn coping strategies and you learn how to build your own physical and mental strength. Um, so you risk manage it really, don't you? Um, I mean, there are riders who are gung-ho um, and it does scare me to death when I see some of them. Um, there's a very fine line between brilliant and crazy um, in our sport. Um, but I think you have to be happy in your own skin as to, to slightly which side of the fence you are. <laughs> Okay, cool. So, um, so you love coaching. Mm -hmm. What is it that you love about the coaching element itself for you? Uh, Lightball moments, obviously, every coach will say that because if you can, somebody's been struggling with something or doesn't get a concept, and if you can either explain it in a way or give them an exercise where they find it out for themselves, um, I think that's such a powerful thing, um, and I think horsey people because we are a little bit obsessive about our horses because it takes up all our time and money it's a massive part of their life so you know if even if they are just doing pole work they don't jump I mean I do a lot of work with them and this has only really happened I'd say in the last 10 years I do a lot of work with riders who are scared of jumping 
or I do a lot of work with riders who have been destroyed by coaches who build too big, too complex, too soon. Um, and I pride myself on the fact that I can then make them enjoy, not make them, that's the wrong word. I can facilitate them enjoying their jumping again because I can get them feeling in control of the situation again and I can get them understanding if they do X, Y, Z, the result is A, B, C. You know, whereas a lot of the time, you know, a lot of not very good coaches and let's face it, a lot of very good riders don't make good coaches because they don't understand why they're so good. But, you know, all their answer to everything is, well, just kick a bit harder. Um, mm. You know, and for somebody who's paralysed with fear up top, hanging onto the front end, that doesn't work. Um, so for me, it's it's getting people's confidence, seeing them smile at the end of a lesson, seeing them work through things, but then be able to grab the positives um, as a coach is a, is a great feeling. It's a really good feeling. Cool. And my licensed coaching program is out there. It's it's in its infancy and it's growing now. What would you say to people who want to learn about psychology for riders as, and when they're a coach? How much of a difference has that actually made understanding psychology? Huge, huge difference. I mean, obviously, you have to know the technical side of it. You have to know biomechanics of the horse and the rider, how they interact. You know, you have to know what is um, involved in competition how to correct faults, um, when to recognise when the horse is lame and in pain. That comes up quite a lot. Um, but ultimately, a lot of the time with riders, the only reason that they are not either progressing or enjoying or developing is the mental barriers in them in their brain. Um, and let's face it, that's that goes across all walks of life, confidence in a job interview, going out and dating, you know, dealing with, with conflict. If you are shying away from it in your brain then you never actually learn how to how to deal with it so just by opening people's minds up to thinking about how they're approaching things is is such a powerful tool um you know and then the greatest thing i think is when then i get you know long essays from people telling me about how they've got on competing and well i where i thought this and then i did this and your voice was in my head and i made sure i concentrated on the rhythm and i sat up through the turn and you know, that's brilliant because then you're making such a positive impact um, to their happiness almost. And what does that give you then, knowing that you've made an impact on someone else's happiness? Oh, huge feeling of uh, satisfaction because actually, you know, it, it's a very powerful thing to be to be empathetic and to actually um, create a positive environment um every now and again okay you know stress levels will get too high and i just i just had a nightmare with owners recently and i did go and escape for a break for a few days to get away from horses because i recognized that i wasn't going to do myself any favors by not removing myself from the situation and giving itself some perspective um but from the coaching point of view i think it's it is great to be able to facilitate that in other people but I also think you've got to make sure it goes up the chain and somebody else is helping facilitate it in you. And I think that's where a lot of coaches, it's a very lonely job, um, especially if you don't run yard, if you're a freelancer going around in your car. I do think a, a support network, um, which is a little bit what Centre 10 gave me, is really, really important that you can phone somebody up and have a rant or you can say, I'm stuck. What would you do? Um, because then I think you're you're not festering, for want of a better word. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, it's really interesting because the key part of my business that's developing right now is community, it's network. It is mm. about exactly that. And anyone that's involved in that community and that network in any of the areas that you can get involved in it are massively now 
benefiting not from me teaching them or coaching them or what have you alone at all but from helping mm. each other and from mm, the, from the groups that they formed within it and yeah. you know that that opportunity to just send someone a quick message because most of the time I'm really busy like I'm really yeah. busy with all the other stuff going on and exactly. but supporting each other is incredible isn't it yeah it is it is and I mean I am lucky because I've got close friends who are also coaches so I've always had a bit of support there but sometimes having um more senior coaches if you like is is great because they can sort of they can see the big picture quite often um I mean I have worked with some people in the past that I've thought have been too closed in their mindset and that they haven't you know actually thought about stuff they've been almost a bit too simplistic and I believe you mean my coaching is very simple um you know but so I haven't worked I haven't gelled that well with them because they just well they didn't give a toss really um so I think I like working with people who who do analyze stuff and who do think about the big picture long term okay so we've touched a few times now on this concept of owners and mm -hmm. it is something that I come across all the time. Loads of people I know that are great riders, really talented, fantastic, but they keep saying, I'm not going to catch a break until I have some owners of some fabulous horses that I can go and ride. And so often we explore it and realise there's more potential downfalls with owners than there is necessarily mm -hmm. upsides. However, of course, there are upsides. So tell us a little bit about your experience with owners, your journey with them, because actually you've had You've had owners for a very long time, haven't you? I have, since I was don't... 18, yeah, yeah. Well, 30 years I've been dealing with owners. I was 17, actually, Jenny came into the picture. Um, I think people are, I've ridden a lot of very unorthodox horses for owners. And I think um, sometimes the overambitious youngsters, you know, they will be, they'll sit on a horse and they'll think it's not good enough. Um, or they'll take it to their elite podium potential coach and be told it's not good enough, but I've got one that you can buy for a hundred thousand pounds. You know, I see that a hell of a lot. Um, I think when you're may when you're starting out, you have to ride everything. Um, you can get a little bit more selective as you get older. Um, but I think sometimes you have to make sure you're going to get on with the person, regardless of the horse. Are you going to get on with the person that owns the horse? Are your goals and your ambitions aligned? Because sometimes that can cause conflict, and that's recently what's happened with me. Um, are your ethics, and actually it was an ethics and welfare thing more with me, um, are your ethics and your owner's ethics aligned? Um, you know, if they want to run the legs off their horse and that it's disposable and you're not that kind of rider, then don't ride for them. Um, equally, if you get somebody who you would like to train it in a certain way, you'd like to train with a certain person and they're very over controlling, that might not work for you. Um, so I think you when you're starting out, I think you have to be open to everything. Um, I think you have to go and sit on everything. Um, but I then I think you have to be very aware that the 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 journey you want to go on with this person, because at the end of the day they are paying you as well, is aligned with what you want to do and what you are happy to do. Um, that's the big thing I'd say. And what would you say to people who are out there who want to get some owners um, to ride for them, especially with social media and things now? Like everyone is something or other eventing, something or other dress up. Oh, that's my bugbear. Yeah. And oh, then when you sorry. actually, I mean, I had a classic example. Somebody bought a horse off somebody else who advertises themselves as blah, blah, eventing. Um, they sold the horse fraudulently. Um, it was 
it was wrong. It had been medicated. It did have issues. Um, the first time it came to me for a lesson, I just said that horse is wrong in its stifles. It's wrong behind. Look how it counters. Anyway, so as soon as they decided to approach this person um, under the law for commercial selling, oh, no, no, I don't. I don't earn my living from horses. No, I'm not a professional rider. But you are marketing yourself as a professional rider all over social media. You are a professional rider. You know, and that is a massive bugbear I have. You know, you've got so-and-so eventing and they've got one horse at 90, which they struggle to get around every weekend. It's It does drive me mad because I think you either are a pro, you are earning money from doing it, or you're not. You do it as a hobby. Okay. Yep. I that's totally agree with that. You know, no, no, that's now. no, no. <laughs> and the thing is that, like, I get that, and it's good to have a little rant every now and again because it spurs yeah. on conversation. I think a lot of people call themselves something dressage or something invented because it's their, you know, their their Instagram or their Facebook page mm -hmm. name or whatever, mm -hmm. and they're showing their journey. And I think probably most of those people aren't really looking for owners for that exact mm -hmm. reason, you know, necessarily. I mean, who wouldn't want a free horse to ride? But it's not that, is it? It's yeah. not. Here's a, here's a free horse for you to ride. Off you go. It's not as simple as that, is it? No, what, it's what never it simple really? as that. And I mean, initially, I rode for nothing. Um, I had a, a very good owner called Jenny Wuffenden, and um, she had a horse that she wasn't getting around across country. I mean, the crux of the matter was the bless it, the horse wasn't fit enough for a start. Um, so I got that horse when I was 17. Rode it for nothing. I paid for everything on it. Um, I vented it under Jenny's name. Um, um, I think I, I did the juniors program on that. I got it to one star, which is now two star. Um, and then that died, unfortunately, broke his leg in the field. So Jenny bought me another one that had just been backed. And ironically, that went on to become, that was advanced by the time it was eight months, on to become my young rider's horse. And Jenny gave me a half share in that horse as a Christmas present. Um, and then we had a deal that I think I rode 15 horses for her over the years where I looked after them, I paid for them, she paid me nothing, she bought the horses, and then when I sold them, I got half. Um, so that was my original owner, if you like. Um, and then obviously that spurred on because people saw me riding the pebble horses, that then spurred on more interest and I could actually start charging to ride. Um, and now obviously it's commercial, but I think when you're starting out, I think you have to be open to any kind of idea. And obviously it depends on your individual circumstances of your funding can you afford to run somebody else's horse uh, what happens if it goes wrong get a blooming good contract you know that's what I say to people really make sure your paperwork is sorted even if you're best mates because stuff goes wrong um you know who's liable if it breaks down who's liable for the best fees who's going to rehab it who's liable for the the now drop in value um so you know you have to get those things in place before you do anything Okay. And what if, what would your advice be if, okay, you are, you are a professional, you, you may be a, a, a new, new to it, or you've come into it later on or something like that. And you actually are at the point where you've got good results. You know, mm -hmm. you're, you're proving yourself, you've, you're bringing up young horses, bits, pieces, things like that. But actually, at the end of the day, to have a real quality horse that you can't, because often the case that people want owners is because they can't afford the lump sum. To buy the raw material. Yeah. To buy the, yeah. yeah. Or they can yeah. and grow it up through the levels, but we know that takes time and there's a lot of risk involved. And also you end up selling them to fund. You know, a lot of the time yeah. I've sold very good horses to keep funding the yard and keep going and run the lorry. And, you know, you do quite often end up letting go of your, your favourite horse that you think will go on because it's yours. Yeah. Um, but equally, I think what people have to remember is um, when they get the owners, that the owners can dump them and go. So I think a lot of riders, when they're starting out, um, 
they almost have a sense of ownership over the horse that they ride for somebody else. You must never, ever, ever forget it's their horse. It's not your horse. Um, and I think that's really important. So you have to be able to guard yourself emotionally if they do suddenly decide Joe Bloggs next door, you know, they want to go on their lorry because it's flasher. Um, or maybe, you know, you're having a little bit of a confidence crisis and you have a run out or you have a show jump down or something. You know, you, you do have to, I think, emotionally guard yourself because we do all do this job because we love the horses. Um, you know, and ultimately, when you are putting your life in the hands of that horse, there is a, an emotional connection for most riders. For some, there's not. Um, but for most riders, there is. And so what would your advice be to someone if they're looking to that? Do you think it's worth doing or actually do you think it's worth just bringing on your own horses and pulling them through the ranks? Um, or is it not as black exactly, and white as it, that? No, it, it's not as black and white as that. It t totally depends what funding you've got behind you. Um, yes, as a commercial rider, you know, you also, I think the other big thing is you do, you do have to ride everything um, when you're starting out, even if you don't think it's talented and even if you don't think that, you know, it's going to go anywhere my young rider's horse that went advanced by the time it was eight was an overgrown bog pony um so you have to give every horse a chance and train every horse as an individual um but i think you you have to listen to your inner gut whether you can get on with that person you know whether you, this is a long-term relationship or not and so without giving us too much detail are you able to give us some examples of perhaps when it hasn't quite worked or something hasn't really been the way you wanted it to be? Um, well, I had a, a, an interesting one. What was it? Three, three or four weeks ago. Um, so I rode four horses for this owner and um, one of the horses had done a tendon injury last year um, purely because they'd run it at two long format events too close together against my wishes. Um, but I was basically given an ultimatum that I had to run it. Um, so I ran it with my, made my opinion clear, but still ran it. Anyway, the horse broke down. Um, so it got rehabbed. Now, as far as I'm concerned, you don't event them the year after they break down. They have a year off. They go hacking, they do some dressage. You know, they have time. But I was being pushed and pushed and pushed to event this horse this year. Thank God lockdown saved the horse because it actually bought it a little bit more time. Um, but its first event back, because I didn't gallop it against the clock, uh, I basically got dropped off the ride on four horses, um, you know, one of which was a five-year-old that had impeccable results and did the four-year-old champs and had won three out of five events for me and actually had won an event the day before I got dropped. Um, but they ultimately just, as I came through the finish, he just said, uh, I'll find another rider. And that was it. Um, and that was very, very hard because to, uh, two of the horses I wasn't so attached to, but two of the horses I was very, very attached to um and it's very hard when you then somebody else is going out on those horses that you've done all the work on and that's really quite hard but i think you have to as a rider brace yourself that that might happen um because in the real world it does they're their mm -hmm. horses they can do what they like with them um so yeah. you know i just i i removed myself from the situation gave myself a little break and now it's like well do you know what even if they came back and offered to pay me 100 pound a day to ride them i wouldn't because I'm not having somebody and what is treat it horses like that. Yeah. So I think one thing that, you know, and I know we've, we've worked on it, is something called values. It's something that mm -hmm. what is really important to you as a person? What is what are things that you live your life by? What's negotiable or not, what's not? And, uh, you know, you... Happy, happy horses is something I live my life by. Um, so, you know, even though they're working hard, like all my best event horses live out at night, they go hacking, they have a lovely time. 
Um, so they've got to be happy in their work. Um, that's a huge thing. And then obviously the welfare issues of if I feel a bit of heat in the leg, it doesn't do any fast work that week or, you know, it gets scanned before I, I make sure it's OK. You know, I don't. Horses are not machines. I don't expect them to just run and run and run. Um, but unfortunately, other people do, um, you know, especially if they've never competed themselves. They, pardon me, don't understand if you're saying, well, you know, I don't think it should run, but it's sound. The vet said it's sound. Well, I don't think it should run. Um, you know, I think you have to, you do have to stick to your guns. But you have to know what those guns are to stick to them, don't you? So I think if you're yeah, looking yeah. at venturing into owners or riding for others or even venturing just in anything in life, quite frankly, you need to know what your values are. It's really important to know what is negotiable and what's not to you. Yeah. And you also have to have a good network of people that will back you up. So in those situations, you can uh, then turn to your mentor and say, right, this is happening. Can we just drop a hint in the next lesson when they're watching or something like that? You can be clever with it. Um, you know, and, and good vets that are practical, um, those kind of things. I think everything you do has to be a team decision. Um, you know, and that's that's the other thing. I think I see a lot of um, these young professionals who've got everything. They do work hard and they are incredibly talented. I think our generation of 20 somethings are amazing. Um, I wish I had that coaching when I was younger and got to sit on horses like them, you know. Um, but I think you you have to remember you're only as good as the team that surrounds you. So being nice to your staff um, and your suppliers and everybody else is really important um, because you soon realise that that if they let you down, you know the whole system falls down. Yeah, for sure. I mean, no one's an island, are they? And although you're no. the one out there on the horse that day, it's not I mean, it's not you that got there. Either. And if you watch yeah. any interview of any top rider after Bernie Badminton Blend, anything. They will always say thanks to my well they don't always yeah. actually say thanks to my team it's not just me that yeah. got me here because it isn't it yeah. never is is it and and no. you know that team is everything isn't it from health Absolutely. horse and rider health mental health for horse and rider physical mm -hmm. health for horse and rider you know um skill set and all, all of that stuff isn't it yeah yeah definitely definitely Okay, and so one of the other things that has been fascinating along your journey has been injury. <laughs> now, it's no surprise that you've done what you've done, you've got what you have, and you've had injuries along the way, because they are kind of part of the course sometimes, aren't they? To, to get out yeah, unscathed is, is pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about, not so much about the stories that got you the injuries, because as we know, <laughs> when we're talking about injuries, trauma or anything like that, if we hear someone tell that story, our brain logs it into the bank of things that might happen. Yeah. Yeah, um, and yeah. could actually make it worse. So, so without actually going into the full story of how it <laughs> happened, um, tell us a little bit about you know the things that have set you back along the way and what you've done to overcome them. More importantly, um, I think. Well, I mean, I broke quite a few bones when I was um, you know sort of late teens, early twenties. Um, nothing desperately exciting, you know, feet, wrists, ribs, tops of arms, that kind of thing. So stuff that you come back from pretty quickly. Um, but then I, it was. God, what was it? Eight years ago, something like that. Oh, I can't remember. I've blanked it now, obviously. Um, I managed to do what's called a tibial plateau fracture. So basically, my kneecap dislocated, my femur came down and just totally obliterated the top of my tibia. Um, so I ended up, uh, what was it, 11 hour surgery to reconstruct it, two weeks in hospital, flat on my back, not allowed to move. The most amazing pain I've ever felt in my life. Um, and then six months of very, very intensive, very, very painful rehab. 
um, of which the doctors, the consultants were all sort of saying, well, it'll take you a year before you get back on a horse. Um, we're not sure that you should ever be able to ride again because we don't think you'll get the function in your knee. You're going to end up having a knee replacement. You're probably going to never straighten your leg and you might limp for the rest of your life. You know, all these lovely things. Um, but I very much I mean, I remember sitting in hospital Googling um, therapies. So Googling what I could do to make it better, things like oxygen therapy. And I did spend quite a lot of time down at um, Oaksy House at the Jockey Rehab place. And they were brilliant because you're never allowed to think you can't get back to riding there. Um, and I mean, I did silly little things like straight away I was Googling, can I buy a cheap convertible automatic to swan around so I can get my crutches in and out? Um, <laughs> so I think <laughs> I <laughs> I very much um, refused to believe that what the doctors were saying was true. And I just thought, well, no, come on. If I work hard, I'll get back. I'll be all right. Um, and I did. And it was it was a tough old road, but I did. But then I think a lot of that is perhaps a bit my upbringing. Mum and dad are very... Um, they get on with it my dad's broken his neck dislocated his shoulder because he kite surfs because he's crazy um so I think there's an element in our family that you know you get injured everybody laughs at you and then you just get on rehab it and get on with it um so that was my my I never thought for a minute I wouldn't get back to it but I did work bloody hard to get back to it and so having that there's that single-mindedness again isn't it coming mm. in that actually mm. you know that's what you're going to do and that's what you're going to get back to so that was your knee yeah. Yeah. And then you did something to, didn't you? I, I think the story I that I love is that. I only did a collarbone break. Everyone's broken collarbones. I've broken both of mine. Um, yeah, the funny <laughs> thing. Is, yeah, most inventors have broken the collarbone. But then I haven't um, been to three star four star. <laughs> oh, no. I managed to do a somersault with a little horse and knock myself out in the process. Um, and then it was in lots of pieces. So they were trying to make me just leave it to mend because that's what they tend to do. And I, I absolutely refused <laughs> and I made them put metal in it. So I could, and I was back riding within 10 days. Um, and then as soon as my 21 day ban, because I got knocked out, was up, I was competing again. <laughs> but I think the interesting part about that story is what it then got you thinking about from, um, because there's the riders, you learn different things as to what you can have to support your body to help oh, you get yeah, through, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, no. So I was put in touch with a very, um, very interesting lady, Barbara Thompson, who, developed a, a rider a clavi brace it was called so this was a bit of kit that she developed because she broke her collarbone and there was nothing out there that would help her sort of keep it together um so she developed this big kit and um i went and got fitted with one so when i started riding again uh post-surgery i was strapped up in this thing um but it was a bit like a blooming uh, three pulls and two submissions to get in the damn thing it was so complicated so but I love the concept of it for improving posture because it worked very much through um, engaging your core. It's a bit like a corset. It works by pulling your um, shoulder blades back. So it's great for scapular dyskinesis and things like that. So I then went to Barbara and we worked together. And I mean, this has been ongoing sort of about three years, this project. And we developed the uh, rider posture gilet. Um, and it's absolutely brilliant with kit. And I do, I, I sort of... Um, have all fittings here and I promote it with people and the thing that always makes me laugh is the minute anybody breaks the collarbone and puts it on Facebook I get tagged in it straight away I'm like collarbone guru now um, <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah so that was an interesting thing you know out of, out of adversity and all that so yeah Barbara and I now um work together and again it's a little bit I think my ear's about to die in a minute um you know it's a little bit towards my long-term retirement plan that hopefully I'll 
get something out of that financially going on. Yeah, okay. If you need to plug your ear in or swap or anything, that's absolutely yeah, fine. Go I for might, it. I might go um, into the mic. It's bubbling at me. Let me put Yeah, my... that's fine. <laughs> give me two minutes and I'll, I'll change give ears. You two moments to do it. I'll <laughs> fill it with something. Okay, so just to recap on some of the things we've been talking about then. We have been chatting about um values and how important values are to know what it is that's really important to you in life, what are your negotiables, what are your non-negotiables. And that really helps with adversity. It really helps with overcoming challenges. It really helps you to understand what the bigger picture is for you. And then also, you know, as a coach, as a rider, not being insular, making sure that you are, you have a team around you that you can call upon that have different opinions, different views. Um, probably the same kind of values as well always helps as well. And mm. calling on that team. And so what would you say then that would be some advice to anyone who's thinking about, you know, becoming a professional rider, maybe they're young or maybe they're thinking about leaving a job to do it or something, or about um, becoming a professional coach, um, you know, coming into the equine world with a very different view to, you know, it's not just about mucking out. It's not just mm -hmm. about riding a few horses. There's there's so much more to it nowadays, isn't it? It really is a professional There is, sport. yeah, there is. And I mean, it's dealing dealing with people is such a massive part of our sport. Um, from the point of view of riders, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Um, think what else can you do as well as the riding so I'll, quite often I'll advise riders go and get a coaching qualification you know you might not desperately love coaching now but it's a very good fallback and you probably will learn to love it when you're a little bit older and you start to interact with people more and you're less single-minded about I've got to go and ride at this level um, so yeah definitely having a fallback um, is very very important um, I think from if people are going to become coaches, they have to expose themselves to as many different types of coaches and different um, angles of how to coach as they can. I've done so many courses of things. And one I'm quite excited about this year is I'm doing the Andy Thomas um, Test T two day coaching training, which he's only accepted 12 co coaches in the country to do. Um, and I've managed to get myself cool. on that. So um, oh, then I, I joke, I joke with my clients. And he's at my yard yeah. today. Is he? Oh, bless he's actually there today him. doing a clinic. Yeah, we'll <laughs> oh, say hi later. Well, yeah, no, <laughs> so I'm quite excited about that because I am joking with my customers. Now, not only can I get in your head, I can bend your body, um, you know, because I think you just, from the riding and from the coaching point of view, never, ever, ever stop learning, never think you're there. And this is any great sportsman, anybody in any discipline, they will never stop learning and they'll never top time different things. Um, whereas I deal with, you know, a few people who are very close mindset and are very much like, well, I'm brilliant because I've written at this level. I know everything. You know, don't ever be like that. Stay very open to learning all the time. And what does that bring you when you stay open to learning all the time? What would you say that has done for you in life, in your career? Um, well, from a selfish point of view, it just it motivates and excites me because, again, the Groundhog Day thing, I don't want to live in Groundhog Day. Um, and I think whenever you come across something that you find difficult as a rider or a coach, you go and find a solution. You know, you see it as a challenge that you have to develop yourself and find a solution, whereas there's a lot of big fish in little ponds that sort of get to a certain level and don't push themselves because they their ego can't cope with thinking they might not know everything. Um, and I do think at the lower level of, of coaching, um, you see that quite a lot. 
Um, I think you see a lot of coaches who did their qualifications when they were very young and they actually haven't really developed that much more, um, which I think is really sad because I think, you know, it doesn't matter what you do for a living. You should be constantly seeking to to improve, to assess, you know, and to redirect if necessary. Yeah, and I love that. And in fact, um, Clive Milkins and I, he's an international para coach. We we did a Q&A recently and I was lucky enough to be on a three-day uh, camp where he was coaching and he's a para coach. So, of course, his mm-hmm. mindset is don't look at what you can't do, look at what you can, obviously. Yeah, for obvious reasons. absolutely. Um, yeah. But we were, we, were, we were having some great conversations about ego in coaching and where it doesn't mm-hmm. have a place. Um, very, no, very ego does not have a place. No. It no. doesn't. And I think It's not that, about you no, as doesn't. a coach, is it? No, no. And it's not about how you've ridden. It's not about what level you've ridden to. And I see a lot of these celebrity clinics where people go and I mean, my clients, you know, I I send them off to coach with anybody with pleasure and say to them, please feed back to me what they said, because I might learn something from it, too. Um, You know, and if they said something you don't get, let's discuss it because I might be able to interpret it for you or I might be able to say, well, do you know what? That won't work for you and your horse. Um, You know, there's a certain um, young male rider who's very good on social media who he does celebrity uh, clinics for like 85 quid or something and you're in a group of four and every single person I know that's been and done them has come back and gone well that's crap all he did was just tell me which fences to jump (laughs) yeah um you know and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of that that goes on so I think if you when you're in that coaching arena you know your phone is off you are totally focused on that person the session is about that person and their horse it is nothing to do with you you are just facilitating their journey um, and you are sort of nudging them in the right direction so they can find solutions. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely love that. And I wish more coaches had that exact ethos, mm. which is very much the ethos that I am mm. hopefully going to instill in a lot of coaches through my programme and things as well, is that yeah. that's what it's about. Yeah. It's about facilitating a journey. And in actual mm-hmm. fact, it's interesting what you say. So you can be a great rider, but that doesn't necessarily mean you know what those skills are that you're using together because yeah. they're what we call unconscious yeah. competence. You don't know mm-hmm. what you're doing. Like, you know what you're doing, mm-hmm. but you, you can't work out how you to get You couldn't explain it. Because, yeah. No, exactly, because it's unconscious. You're really good at it, but mm-hmm. you don't know how. And mm-hmm. um, But actually, some great coaches are the ones who are only a few steps ahead, potentially, because they're, the learning's more raw. Now, obviously, like you say, you need technical knowledge, you need understanding. Like, mm. you don't want to be coaching at a level that you don't know the skill that's required to get there. But because you're a great yeah. coach and you're facilitating learning, actually, it can happen that way. Yeah, yeah. And if you've struggled with stuff, um, you yeah. know, I mean, we do talk a lot about sort of when I'm working with clients, if they're struggling with stuff, you know, I mean, the the one thing I remember being completely useless at when I was younger was counter counter. I mean, I went to my first three star completely unable to counter on the wrong leg intentionally. I could (laughs) counter on the wrong leg (laughs) unintentionally. Um, But, you know, it's (laughs) it's one of those things that, you know what, sometimes it's not a straight journey and sometimes there are mental blocks or physical blocks and. And you've got to work out which is it. Is it a bit of both? You know, have you had an injury on a hip? Are you tight on hip? Does the physio need to see you? Are you sitting wonky? You know, is, is it that just you're you had a horse that used to freak out in that rain and you can't you've taken it across to your next horse? You know, there's so many different levels that stuff can hold us back with. But until we shine a spotlight in, onto potentially why is that happening, we can't find solutions. Yeah. 
And so you and I have done stuff together. What would you say has been most beneficial about having mindset coaching and, and you know, the sort of psychology element added into what you do in your writing? And what would you say to other people that are thinking about it but aren't really sure if it's, yeah. you know, really um, what they need? Think- They'd rather spend the money on a new saddle. <laughs> yeah yeah I know I know um I think the thing is is it doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing you can never get away from your own brain um yeah. so it's the one thing we carry with us all the time you know you can change your clothes you can change your lorry you can change your house your husband whatever you want to do um but you can't change your own brain so if you're not happy in your own skin there's only you that can do something about it um and I think at sometimes very overly ambitious people are unhappy there's something they're chasing that they think Mm. they that it will make them happy but actually it won't because it's the you know when you what you tend to find with people like that is um once they get that goal they then chase the next goal um and it's quite interesting one of our you know one of our world's number one male riders english rider i've had long conversations with him about this actually and um you know a win once the win is it means everything when he's chasing it and once he's got it, it doesn't mean anything because then it's on to the next win yeah um and that's quite a sad lonely place to be in really um so i think dealing with your demons a bit i mean the chimp paradox is something that i all riders that come to me with any kind of you know hang up psychological issues which we all have most of them i'll say go and read the chimp paradox because i think that's such a good thing about understanding your own brain and when you're almost self-sabotaging yeah yeah definitely and and actually it's 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 again another interesting life's all about balance isn't it it's about being motivated mm-hmm. towards a goal but understanding the impact of that goal and things as well yeah. and you know so many people i work with don't realize they keep moving the goalposts so they never mm. actually feel they've achieved anything even though they've achieved four of the goals they did have they haven't realized it because it's never no. quite good enough um no, exactly. but in some ways exactly. it keeps them I mean- motivated well, exactly. And it's a good thing to set those goals and it's a good thing to want to develop and move. Um, but I think you have to be quite, you have to reflect, you have to take the time to reflect, to think, well, okay, that's where I was and this is where I am now. And this is where for some people, things like journaling works really well for them. Um, you know, so actually, so they can just see the journey, step back and mm. see the journey that they've gone through. Um, you know, personally, for me, that doesn't really work. Um, but it's it's definitely something I think that you have to to acknowledge the steps that you're taking um, to be able to say, well, yes, I've got to here, here and here. And it might even be that actually, do you know what, that was your goal and you get halfway there and you go, I'm really not enjoying this. And why was it such a big thing to me? Um, and then then you sort of adjust a little bit. Um, you know, it's like me with my, oh, I desperately want to ride at badminton of early. Well, do you know what, I've got older and I don't. Um, and I've sort of had to make peace with myself because I always used to beat myself up that I wasn't a very good rider because I never got there. Um, but actually, there's a place for everybody. And I know I know where I'm good. I mean, I jokingly call myself a pre-novice princess because I can take my <laughs> courses out and win a pre-novice. Um, <laughs> but you know what? If that's what I'm good at, do it. Produce nice horses, let people buy them, have a lovely time with them. Isn't You know, that's quite a nice thing to be doing. I think it's really good to know your strength. I think a pre-novice princess is a wonderful thing. <laughs> I'm a yeah, you're princess. A, and it's very interesting what you say about having to make peace with it. So a lot of people have ambition early on about what they want to achieve. Yeah. And life comes in different ways, or they've had to they've made decisions to make different, you know, um choices or something happens that means they can't or what have you. And and it is about making peace with the fact that you might have set that goal mm-hmm. once, but 
you don't have to be beholden to it now you can change them really it's fine no, like and exactly. again knowing what's really important to you and that changes yeah. as well yeah is yeah. is fine and you, you know, your choice you, yeah, your comfort zone changes, you know, sometimes you can be brave as a lion and you can feel like you're invincible. Other times there might have been a few things that have gone on completely unrelated to horses, but then niggle away. And I think one thing I have learned is the impact that your whole life has on your riding psyche. Um, and I mean, I, I can be professional enough to block stuff out to a certain level, but at the end of the day, I'm human. So, you know, if stuff is really affecting you, it might affect your riding and to actually just go, well, OK, well, let's go away and deal with the thing that's affecting me rather than beating yourself up that you're not getting the results you perhaps should be. Um, so I think big picture thinking is something I've developed over the years. And that's something I do try and impart into people, because a lot of the time, you know, you'll be chatting to a client for a lesson and um they'll confide something in you that's going on in their life and you say to them well do you know what just just cut yourself some slack you know let's just i've got a, a very good client whose mum's dying and um she said tina i just i don't think i should compete this weekend and i said well don't then just withdraw you know your mum's your mum you, you've got to spend time with her and if it goes wrong you're going to catastrophize it um so just cut yourself some slack and say do you know what i'm not in the right headspace to compete so i'm not and the minute i gave her permission to make that decision it was like a massive relief um whereas the old yeah. me in my 20s would have been we paid the entry what are you back get on with it yeah is that no completely and you know we do think that we can compartmentalize but we can't the brain does not compartmentalize it's all yeah. affecting everything else and you know yeah. um most people that come to me come to me thinking that they're going to get some kind of clever visualization techniques or you know tools and tips to do just before they go riding that's going to get them in the right place to go out and do their best yeah we can do that but most of the time we end up working on exactly what you just talked about yeah. there yeah you know because yeah, exactly. really that's what it's all about it's all about yeah. it's going to impact you yeah cool yeah no, okay definitely. well it's been absolutely fascinating we've covered so many different topics Tina, as i knew that we would um mm. is there anything that you want to add or say or just sum up um to anyone who's listening no i don't think so i think um you know anybody who's going through any any difficulties at the moment one day they'll become hindsight and you'll have learned from them um you know sort of sometimes in the moment you can feel like there isn't a way out or you know there's not a solution there's not a way forward but there always is you know everything everything's always yesterday's news at some point um but i think the sort of the self-development for anybody that's doing this job um is so so important both as a rider and as a coach just to keep you motivated you know just it's a good thing to keep moving forward and, and changing your goals and setting new goals that's that's what life's all about you know and we all have this I think sometimes this goal setting thing can be a bit too finite. Um, so I think, you know, you never you never stop setting goals till you hit the grave, really. So, you know, you can you can just keep adapting through life. Mega, I love that. So it's all about adapting, being flexible and, and moving about, but having a, an idea and a sense of what you want. And it's OK to change that. That's perfectly fine. Yeah, and hitting your grave with lots of great memories. That's the other thing. Yes, exactly. What is it they say? <laughs> it's not about arriving perfectly preserved. It's about sliding into it, you know. Picking and, and screaming, thinking, having a laugh. That's yeah. it, and thinking, what a ride. <laughs> so there we go. Cool, okay. Well, um, Tina, if people want to get hold of you, I know someone said that they're interested in the test stuff, and I think oh, well, I they say I you're local. I can't see the chat. No, can't you can't. I'm telling you what all. they said. Okay, <laughs> That's the only one, the only sort of question or so that we've had really come through from anyone today. Um, but obviously, people can put questions in uh, under this video on socials and, and post any through uh, the podcast as well. But um, yeah, 
Where, so you're based in Newark, Newark in no Newark in Nottinghamshire. Newark in Nottinghamshire. I always get the two muddled yeah. up. But whenever I come yeah. see you, I do end up in the right place. So that's okay. Yeah, you um, do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, if anyone wants to train with you, talk to you, get your advice, any thoughts, uh, learn more about the Andy Thomas stuff, anything like that, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, so have a look on our website. It's Tinderbox Sport Horses. Um, all my contact details are on there, email, mobile number, everything that we do, everything that we offer is on there because we do, like as I say, lorry hire, we've got a theraplate that we hire, all that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, have a look on there and then uh, if you want to give me a call, give me a call and we'll have a chat. Cool. And your Facebook is? Uh, Tinderbox Sport Horses again. Super. So if they want to have a look so on there and follow you. There. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I am on Insta. I'm getting better at using it. It's my age. Cool. Um, but yeah, no, they can they can contact me through Insta. But to be fair, Facebook I check more often. Yeah, cool. Well, thank you so much, Tina. It's been really inspiring. Loads of great advice. Um, loads of you know fantastic things for people to go away and think about as well. Um, no and problem. so thank you so much with whatever right. your future is is going to be, whatever you choose. Thank you very much. Lovely to speak to you again. Bye. Take care, everyone. Bye. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. If you want to listen to more of them, then please do follow us in Apple, in Google and on Podbean. Hack Your Mindset with Jenny is the name of this podcast. So please do subscribe, follow us and we look forward to you listening into our next one. Bye, everyone. Who got this? You got this? You know you're going to rock this. Who got this? You got this?